All right, welcome back uh, to another episode. Johnny, we've talked a lot about you know what we call the Little C Church, right? The local church. And um, we say a lot that worship is more than just singing. And then for the past three episodes, we've talked a lot about singing and, and why it matters and why we gather together to sing. Um, there is something unique about singing together. You know, you can worship in your car, I'm sure, I hope. Um, but there's something unique about gathering together and singing. Um, but if we're going to talk about how worship is more than singing, let, let's do that. Uh, let's talk about these other things. So when we gather on a Sunday morning, we refer to that as a, a worship service. Um, in fact, we oftentimes refer to the room we are in as a worship center. Um but we do it a lot more than singing, and I would argue that every ounce of it is worship. And so when we think about um, worship being more than, than singing, and we, we think about those Sunday morning gatherings, uh, I just want to kind of walk through these events that, that happen. And cards on the table, if, you, if you're not a part of our church, we are a part of a, a Baptist church. And so... Certainly, if you're a part of a, a different tradition or denomination, then, then your um, practices are going to look different. But on any given Sunday, we might have prayer, singing, uh, Scripture reading, Scripture interpreting in the sermon, um, Lord's Supper, and a greeting, and, uh, uh, oh, and, and offering. So we currently right, are, are not doing a passing of a plate, but we still uh, take up an offering. And I think passing the plate is a, is a very poignant image. Um, and, uh, and we don't do a greeting at our particular context, but I would argue that when we did in churches that do, that is part of worship. So what is, what is our, our definition of worship we're, we're going off of, Johnny, won't we? Recall to mind. We're using Eugene Peterson's definition of worship that it is the method by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. So, when all of those elements together on a Sunday morning at 8 15 or at 11 o'clock, um, Ken and I, whenever we're planning the parts of the service that we're responsible for, we're looking at, you know, how does this accomplish that? Uh, that goal of interrupting our preoccupations with ourselves. And yeah, Evan, I'd, I'd totally agree that things like announcements and certainly communion, um, but even things like back when we did the what we called the grip and grin, mm -hmm. the, the most uncomfortable moment of the morning for any introvert in the room, and, and maybe even some extroverts. But um, all of those things are intended to interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. I think for most people, and we will get to these, but I think for most people it's a little easier to think of the spiritual things as worship. Um, how in the world is a, a, a welcome? You know, here at our church, Josh does a welcome and, you know, greets new folks and tells us about what's coming up and you know, maybe even transitions us back into to song or, or, or leads into what we call our Higmad, right, our video about how our giving makes a difference. Uh, how is that worship? Well, I think giving's easy, you know. Um, I, I, I love this story in the Old Testament when um, David is charged by God with something that he's done wrong, and God says, I need you to go to this place, and I need you to offer this sacrifice. David says, okay, I'm going to go do it. I have a contrite heart. I want to make up for this. 
and he goes to this farmer's land where God told him to go and tells them tells him the situation offers to pay for all this and uh, offer this sacrifice and the farmer says no 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 I want to give it to you for free you're the king and David says I'm not going to offer something to God that cost me nothing mm-hmm. um, and so certainly I think that's a great example of how you know I'm going to give I'm going to sacrifice something that I've earned in time work um, uh, and I'm going to give that back to God because I want to show him my appreciation, my gratitude. I want to offer that to him as a sacrifice. But then things like the welcome and announcements, uh, certainly they are a part of worship. And I, I think it ties into fellowship and it ties into the fact that when we gather together, we are gathering with other people for whom Christ died. Um, we get to see how he's working in their lives and we get to celebrate that with them um, or mourn with them, depending on what the circumstances are. And uh, being involved in one another's lives is a way of worshiping the Lord. And uh, so I, I think that those are elements of it. Yeah, I really like to use the word fellowship. Uh, that is one of those words that we have just made toothless, mm-hmm. right? When when we say fellowship in the Baptist church, what we usually mean is food. Mm-hmm. We're going to eat together. And and that is a huge thing. The table plays a crucial role in Scripture. And I love sharing meals with people. There's something sacred about sharing a meal, particularly in, in your home or in their home rather than a restaurant. There's, there's something sacred about sharing a meal over a table. But when we talk about fellowship, it's not – not that. It's just so much more than just that. Uh, the word itself, right? It's, it's this recognizing our fellowness, to make up a word, our fellowness with one another, that we are in the trenches together, that we struggle together, that we triumph together, uh, that we trudge out the hard days together. That, And again, if your idea of corporate worship is an opportunity for you to gain some sort of feeling, then announcements are just information. Yeah. And maybe they're not worship. But if I'm gathering with other believers and I am reflecting on my Savior together and we're standing shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, uh, uh, proclaiming these truths in spite of a world that, that makes me sometimes doubt them, Right? If that's what I'm doing, now all of these things, from a welcome to a greeting, whether you're introverted or extroverted, whether you hate it or love it, it becomes part of worship because it's an opportunity for us to recognize the, the fellowship we have with one another. It's And, and higher churches, they have a, a practice that we kind of stole the greeting from called passing of the peace, right? It is an opportunity to pass the peace of Christ to one another in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of a difficult world, in the midst of a difficult week, in the midst of a difficult day, that we pass the peace of Christ among one another. We shake hands, we smile at one another, we look at one another. Um, We acknowledge that I'm not the only one in the room today. We acknowledge that my experience isn't the only one that walked through those doors when we do a greeting. Um, with our giving, I, I think you're right. It's it's a little easier. I I really like the idea of passing a plate. I, I know some people give online, and some people give every, every other week instead of every week, and that's great. That's fine. However, you have um, kind of made your your piece about how you're going to give to the Lord is perfectly fine. But I think there's something powerful in handing that plate again, recognizing that someone else in the room handed me the plate, and I'm going to hand it to someone else in the room, um, and that. Even if I'm not putting something in the plate that day, uh, maybe because I, I gave online or maybe because I gave last week on payday and I give it, you know every two weeks when I get paid, I'm still acknowledging there's something 
costly about this mm-hmm. that, that, that I, as I pass this plate. Um, but yeah, I think those things are, are really important. Uh, so prayer, mm-hmm. right, spiritual, but also for a lot of people, and for me, during certainly many, many seasons of my life, prayer is kind of a last-ditch effort to get the thing I want. Yeah. And so if prayer is a last-ditch effort to get the thing I want, or show you how the sausage is made, listeners, uh, for some folks, it's, it's uh, travel music. Right? I, I'm going to pray so the band can get back up here, or I'm going to pray so we can transition from this practice to the next. I'm going to pray so everybody puts their head down and closes their eyes and we can flip the stage. Um, how is it worship? How does it attune me to God? I appreciate you bringing up the, the veil of, worship, of, of prayer as a, as a way of hiding the worship team coming back. Um, on our good days, on our best days, that is a bonus. Mm-hmm. But certainly, you know, on, on days whenever maybe I'm not so in tune with the Lord, it, it does become that. It, it, it's just a tool. Um, uh, but on the days whenever we're, we're in sync with the Lord and we're truly seeking what He wants, well, I, I think that's the meaning of praying together is it's a, a group of people who recognize their dependence on a God who's way bigger than them, who's way more capable than them, and maybe not even necessarily in things that that uh, seem too big by worldly standards, but as broken humans, which we know we are, coming together as one body, uh, recognizing the one that we submit to and the one we serve. I think that's the picture that that prayer paints, um, and and when we intentionally take the time to do that. Um, it is uh, it's a reminder to ourselves. Um, it's not just an expression, but it's also a reminder that that we do depend on a God um, who's capable of touching so many more hearts, of accomplishing things that that we just don't have access to. Whatever it is, um, I think all of those things are wrapped up in. Yeah, I remember, and he's dead now, so he's not going to care that I share this story. But I had worked with a worship pastor in Dallas that, and it drove him nuts. We had a full choir. And uh, he wanted me when the so we had deacons, you know, pray um, for whatever it was, and he wanted them right, when when it's time for the offertory prayer be standing at the the pulpit. When it's time, you usually just transition the same way of sermon. When that last song ends, he's going to give you a nod, and you know before he even hits that last note, and you start walking so that when he finishes, you're up. And and I just couldn't do it, and partially because I'm a contrarian. But also because I do think there's so much to contemplate. We just sang these big, bold truths. And maybe I said the words and want to mean them but didn't. Maybe I need just a few seconds to just ponder that. And so I would wait till the entire choir was off, till every musician was off the stage. And it's just silence. The piano's not playing. And it was just silent, and then I would make my way on stage. And it drove him nuts because he was worried somebody would think that, well, they don't know what they're doing, and it's, this isn't a, uh, a, well, a well-tuned thing, and you know somebody missed their, their cue, and, and that's fine. But I, I, I wanted to do a better job of giving people an opportunity to just sit in it. And so I, I think you're right. It doesn't mean nobody can move during the prayer. Yeah. The worship team's got to get up there. Here's an opportunity where I haven't missed any of the sermon, and I can get to the place I need to get 
while I'm doing this other thing. You can pray and walk. Um, but when we are not really praying, just saying prayer-like words in order to transition a service, yeah. that's where we get into some dangerous stuff. Uh, the Lord's Supper is, is interesting to me. It's an, another one of those things that I just don't think in our tradition we really understand the gravity of it. Here at uh, First Lubbock, we make an entire service around it. That's unusual. Uh, we do it once a month, which I'd be happy to do it once a week, but this is the most I've ever done it in a, a Baptist church, certainly a First Baptist church. Um, most First Baptists, it's a, a once a quarter, and it's kind of a thing that gets thrown in on Sunday morning really quickly after um, after the sermon. The sermon didn't have anything to do with communion, and so we have a, a tradition that, that really I just don't think understands the, the weight of it. Um, but I was um, doing a, a study on First Corinthians, and my particular passage that I was um, really deep diving in was First Corinthians 8 through 10, which is the question of can we eat meat offered to idols, and it takes forever to answer. And when we finally answer, um, Paul goes, uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll concede, chapter 8, I'll concede that idols are not real. I'll concede that food doesn't make you more or less spiritual. But we recognize in the communion, the, the, the cup of blessing is what Paul calls it there, we recognize in the cup of blessing we are participating with Jesus. And so to, do, uh, to eat idol meat in idol temples is to participate with demons, is his argument. I don't think most people understand that we're participating with Jesus. I think people see it as a significant practice that maybe we do on behalf of Jesus. Yeah. We do for Jesus, right? He's, he's asked us to do it, so we're, we're performing this action on, for him, right? Um, my mom asked me to clean my room, so for her, I'm going to clean it, right? No, it, Paul says, no, we're, we're participating in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so when we take communion, whether it's on Sunday morning, Sunday night, right, whether it's once a week, once a month, once a quarter, when we take communion, what we are doing is certainly should be stopping this preoccupation with ourselves and going, okay, God, I, I am going to participate now uh, very intentionally with what Jesus did, both in his, his life on earth and the new kingdom that he showed us the way up, but then also in his death and his resurrection that purges salvation for us, that we're not participants in that thing. And so communion becomes this very worshipful thing, uh, and it's a travesty that for so many people it was that thing we did after the sermon once a quarter, and it was awkward because we got out late, and the old deacons take forever to pass out all those cups, and you know, you're trying to find the, the grape juice with the most in it, and then all the, um, the RAs were my home church. We would sneak back there and drink all the extra grape juice and all these different things that it just becomes a, a trivial pursuit. It is a huge, worshipful thing. So what about scripture reading? Uh, you and Ken do this well, I think. We, we do a lot of scripture within the song time. Yeah. Um, what about that is worshipful? Well, for one thing, I, I think it's important to be informed. Uh, when you sing, you should you shouldn't just sing because the words are up on the screen. Um, shouldn't just sing because the people around you are singing. Though, you know, I'm I'm not opposed to positive peer pressure, sure. um, but the the most important uh, grounds for singing is truth, and to celebrate the truth and uh, and the best place to look for the truth is the written word of God. Um, 
So to, to read that together, to know that everyone in the room together is hearing truth. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, we even do the where where Ken or, or myself will will read one part and the rest of the congregation reads the, the next part together, maybe even speaking it out loud. Um, and so you, you tie all this together uh, with singing. Uh, and then when Bobby's preaching from the word, uh, we are all sharing in this time together in truth and in the ultimate purpose. And um, and also, too, I think it's a beautiful thing to think that, that we're not the first generation to discover the word of God. Um, so not only are we in unity with one another, we're also in unity with the generation before us and the generation before that, all the way back to... Uh, the gospel writers and with Paul and then the prophets and with King David and and Moses and all of these giants of our faith, we're sharing in the same truth that they first heard whispered by the Spirit to them. Yeah, I've always loved call and response um, for the same reasons that, I mean, the, the idea of praying extemporaneously, like I'm going to walk up to the pulpit, I'm going to make up a prayer is a really relatively new practice in yeah. the church. And so this idea of praying the Psalms together or just hearing the words and particularly this reading of the Scripture without any interpretation, that we're just going to recite Scripture over ourselves is a powerful powerful tool that just growing up we didn't do much. Um, no fault to, uh, to those church staff um, that, I, that I sat under as a child, but it just wasn't something we did a lot. Um, we we did do our God is an awesome God and he would do the like little rap part and then the church would call back with uh, our God is an awesome God. So that very was cool. sort of a call. Cool. It was very cutting edge. Uh, Robert Baldwin, uh, if he's listening, was just a cutting edge uh, um, music minister. But yeah, it was just one of those things that wasn't a, a key part of the services when I grew up. But I think it's just such a powerful tool that we have to just recite scripture over ourselves. Um, and then when we get to the sermon, the interpretation of the Scripture, gosh, we're going to take a text, and and I I preach, and, and Bobby, our, our senior pastor here, preaches uh, very expositionally, so we're going to take a text and go, this is what it means. And then we are going to, at some point, say, and this is how then you apply it. But for a lot of churches, man, that's the first thing they want to get to, is just tell me what it has to do with me. And so it's just further evidence that we're not really giving up the preoccupation with ourselves and attuning yeah. ourselves with, with the presence of God. Just get to what it, get to how it affects me. But do you know, just go, no, this is how God interacted throughout history. I, I do not believe God is bound by anything. Can he make a rock so big he can't pick it up? Maybe not. But other than that, I don't know that God's bound by anything. So if God wants to speak through clouds, that's great. If he wants to speak through dreams, that's great. But all I know is the fullest, richest picture of who God is and how He deals with His people and how He relates to His people and how He interrupts history on behalf of His people is Scripture. And so to, to just dig in for what it is first, a portrait of who God is. I, we, I mean, it was what people love to talk about. You know, it's a love letter to you and me. It's not. It just isn't. It is a picture of who God is. Now, in that, we get to see God as love. Yeah, That's good for me, and that's good for you. And that is, but the Bible is not written as a love letter to you. It was written as a picture of who God is. It wasn't written, written as a history book. It wasn't written as a science book. It wasn't written as a, uh, a, a war book. It was written as a picture of who God is and how he interacts with his people throughout time and space. 
and throughout history. And so we read it just for that. It's just rich. Mm-hmm. And so to get into Scripture is a worshipful thing. And then, yeah, of course, uh, it would be responsible of us then to go, okay, we just read an agrarian uh, culture 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. And, and, yeah, it would be appropriate and right to go, and this is then how we can use this today because Scripture is living and active, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. So it does have something to say to you and I, 2022, in Lubbock, Texas. But uh, if that's where we start, it's just further evidence we haven't interrupted the preoccupation with ourselves yet. Yeah. And so for, in order for the sermon to be worship, if you're one of those people that loves the music and then you just kind of get through the sermon, maybe your preacher's bad, and that that's yeah. tough. But maybe it's because you don't realize that the first and primary purpose of Scripture is not to tell you how to live today. It's to tell you who God is. Yeah. And then in that, we learn how to live. But it's not, first and foremost, an instruction manual. It is a picture of who God is and how He interacts with His people. Um, so we've talked about the welcome. We've talked about uh, giving. We've talked about announcements. We've talked about prayer, scripture reading, uh, uh, preaching. Um, all of this comes together to be a worship service. Right? We all corporately, hopefully, corporately say this is what we're doing here. Interrupting our own preoccupation, and we are just going, God, whatever you have. And I'm going to do it through singing, and I'm going to do it through listening, and I'm going to do it through talking, and I'm going to do it through smiling, I'm going to do it through shaking hands, I'm going to do it through passing a plate, uh, I'm going to do it uh, through um, the Lord's Supper. But for the next however long, this is what I'm going to be about. That's what we mean when we say worship is more than just singing. Mm. I have to catch myself on Thursday nights going, you know, uh, getting up there, welcoming, and then going, hey, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started with worship. Yeah. Right? I don't know. We already started. <laughs> and not even, we already started at eight. We started at seven when people started showing up to eat cookies and milk, to, to hang out with one another, to talk about their week, to cry about their week, to laugh about their week, to jump up and down about their week. That's when worship started. We're just continuing this thing in maybe a more formal way at eight o'clock. Right? And now we're just transitioning to singing. Worship isn't just now starting. Yeah. Or we just wasted an hour and five minutes. Yeah. And so I have to catch myself of because words matter. The way we say things matter. And I have to catch myself going, I don't know. We're not going to get started. We're going to continue. Yeah. We're going to really get in uh, to another layer of what worship is. Um, what would you say to someone uh, that says, you know what, I... Uh, I prefer my worship in this way or another. So maybe a, a creative type goes, yeah, sermons just don't do anything for me, and I want to I just sing all day. Or on the flip side, maybe a more analytical type, it goes, no, just give me sermons. I can't sing anyways. I'm just tone deaf. I don't like singing around people. What do you say to those guys that go, I just, these worship things aren't for me, and this is really what I... Sure. Well, I would gently... As gently as possible and as, as graciously as possible, because I would want the same thing done to me, remind them that, well, maybe you're worshiping the method instead of the one who's intended to be worshipped. Yeah. Um, if, if you go to church because you like the music, maybe you're worshiping the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a worship leader, I have to guard against that because, okay, my bent, sure, naturally is I, I love singing. I love making music. I do it as a side gig outside of church uh, because I enjoy doing it. But um, 
sometimes out of discipline and obedience, but also sometimes just because I want to honor the Lord because of what He's done. Um, I choose to gather with people. I choose to listen to the sermon. I choose to to throw money in the plate or, or make sure I'm giving online, make sure my, all my stuff's up to date or um, make sure I go catch somebody if, if we were still doing a, a grip and grin moment or um, make sure I'm paying attention while Josh is giving those announcements. Um, not so much necessarily for my enjoyment, uh, not not so that I'm happy and, and comfortable, but so that uh, I can make sure that once again, I'm attending to the the presence of God, and as much as my finite human mind can can contain that, uh, an expression of that recognition of His presence is honor and respect for for what He's doing in His church. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been a great talk, and I, I hope people are encouraged by this. Um, not this is not done to go shame on you. You don't get it, but a way to just go. Hey, this is the way we understand worship, and and maybe this will help you get, um, well, you may even say to get more out of Sunday morning, but to uh, help you see a fuller picture of why we do what we do, put it that way. All right, so next week we're going to take a, a, a shift. We've done these last four weeks uh, where we have talked through you know, what it is to worship and why we worship and how we worship and where we worship and when we worship. Now I want to on a transition next week, we're going to interview a, a really, really, lovely uh, lady in our church that is just a, a picture of she gets it. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to talk next week about intergenerational worship, and then we're going to spend a couple weeks interviewing some worship pastors about why they do what they do, what drew them to the Little C Church. Um, I don't know if you know this, but for most of us, you know, there's a few exceptions. For most of us, this isn't a great money gig, right? This isn't a is it an overly easy job? And I, I know if you're on a roof right now listening, you don't want to hear about how hard my job is. But uh, it's it's not often done because we get you know our kicks out of it. It's done because of a, a real sense of calling. And so we're going to interview some some worship pastors about where their calling comes from and why they've invested their lives in, in worship. Um, so I hope you'll you'll stay tuned for those episodes coming in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.